0: Amen. How are we doing? All right, all right. It's uh, celebration Sunday. We are uh, we get to celebrate three baptisms today. It's almost appropriate. Um, you're getting there. Hopefully, you'll be more excited later. Um, we uh, we're also celebrating uh, the end of another IU kind of academic year. We know that many of our our students will be heading out for summer. Some of you will be heading out, graduating and uh, moving on for good, and uh, and so. And thinking about that, I um, wanted to take a break from, from the Gospel of Mark series we've been kind of walking through, and, and look at a little passage from Jeremiah 17, uh, just to encourage us, hopefully all of us, whether we're leaving or staying, uh, just kind of we're, where we're called to, where, where we find the fruitful and abundant life that God calls us to. And, and the question that we're sort of being asked in this passage by the, the prophet Jeremiah is, what are you putting your trust in? What are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? What is your, your source of joy and, and strength and peace? Is your hope in what you can make happen? What you, by your accomplishments, by what your, your hard work can do for you? Is your trust in your own ability, in your own strength? Or is your trust in the Lord? That's the question that he's, he's asking us. Like, do you think the, the big difference maker for your life is earning that degree? some of you are just about to earn Or, or getting into that relationship or or getting that bigger salary that promotion that job that nicer house that nicer car whatever it might be do you think that if you learn a little more or you do a little more you give a little more you serve a little more then you'll make it better then you'll feel better you'll feel more at peace more full of joy then you'll have the good life the prophet Jeremiah is writing and speaking in the middle of a culture that is, is very fragmented. Right? A, a, a society in which there are conflicting worldviews at, at work when he writes this, when he speaks this. A lot of different ideas about what, it, what is the right way to, to live, what do you build your life on. It, it's not unlike the culture that we find ourselves in. A fragmented culture with lots of conflicting worldviews of what's best, what, what should be the defining thing for you in your life. Dist- different systems of thought, different religions, different worldviews They're all around us. They're all around us. So who's going to decide what's right? Who's going to decide what's best, what's true, to discern what it is that you put your trust in? How do you discern that? And the typical response of our culture, and probably a typical response that Jeremiah would run into as well, is, well, there, there is no one right way. There's no one right way. There, there isn't one truth. No one should try to claim that there's one truth or one way to live, one thing to put your hope in. And anyone who says that, right, that they have the right thing, the right truth, well, we know that anyone who says that is, is naive and or dangerous, right? That's what our culture says to that, that sort of question. And to that, the prophet Jeremiah comes at, at us and says, In the words of the great theologian, Ice Cube, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? That's what he comes and says if that's your response. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. He shows us that that the statement that there is no true and right way to live, no true and right thing to put your trust in, that is in itself naive and dangerous. That's what he says to us in this text There is an absolute true and right way to live. There is a true and right one to put your trust in. And trusting in Him is what leads to the fruitful life. That's what we see in this passage today, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. I invite you to turn there in the Bibles there on your row or in your own uh, copy of the Scripture. It's on page 645 in those copies on your row there. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this time to gather, uh, to sit under your word. Lord, would you help us Um, help us to see where the fruitful life, the abundant life, the good life is found. And Lord, would you help each of us in this room to examine our hearts, to expose the ways that all of us, Christian, non-Christian, all of us, are tempted and, and led to put our hope in lesser things. The things of this world, the pleasures of the flesh, even good things like relationships and spouses and children and 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 the gifts that you give us lord all of us are are tempted at times to put those things in the place of the ultimate thing lord expose our hearts lead us to repentance help us to renew and put our trust in the lord jesus christ in your son jesus christ and in him alone and Lord, may you bear much fruit in us. May you use this time together to, to, to bear fruit in our lives, even right now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Jeremiah is making it very plain. There is indeed a right way to live. There is a right truth to believe in. There is a right one to put your trust in. And he gives us, he, he makes this point with the illustration of these two trees, right? These two trees, right, to show us both the fruitless life and the fruitful life. And, and he shows us how to experience the truly fruitful life through these, these illustrations. The first tree shows us the fruitless life, right? the life without fruit. Jeremiah gives this vivid, vivid picture, vivid description of the danger of trusting in anything but the Lord in verses 5 and 6. He says, thus says the Lord, In other words, this is not just Jeremiah's opinion. These are the words of God. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. The one who trusts in Man, the one who trusts in self, in the the flesh, right? Finds their their strength in their own abilities, in the the, the thoughts of the culture, the thoughts of the world. Trusts in man and turns away from the Lord. That one is like a dried up dead tree in the middle of the desert. I mean, the branches are just snapping. It is completely lifeless. Dead and decaying. Withering away. Lifeless. It's a vivid picture. It's a vivid picture. And Jeremiah's point is this. How you choose to live your life, what you choose to build your life upon, that is a serious matter, right? Uh, Of the most serious nature. This isn't an open-ended question with many right answers that he's asking. There's one right answer. And all the other answers lead to death. A lack of fruit. A dried up shrub in the middle of the desert. That's Jeremiah's message. But it's important that we understand and we grab a hold of what's really really meant by trusting in man. What does that mean? What does it mean to make flesh your strength? and, And having a heart that turns away from the Lord. For there's more than one way to do that. And we need to understand that. There's more than one way to do that. In reality, there's both an irreligious way and a religious way to do that. To make man, to put your trust in man, to make flesh your strength, and to have a heart that turns away from the Lord. Right? The mentality of, of our culture, and a lot of you on a college campus are encountering every day with this kind of mentality, right? Drink as much as you can, uh, you know, try as many drugs as you can, sleep with whoever you want whenever you want to. That is clearly a way of trusting in man. That's clearly a way of making flesh your strength and building your life upon that. But so is the mindset of work as hard as you can to get what you deserve. You can make the pleasures of this world your hope, but you can also make good things in this world your hope, like family, like spouse, like boyfriend, girlfriend. You can make career your ultimate end-all, be-all God functionally in your life. And in any of those ways is to put your trust in man, to make flesh your strength, and to see your heart turned away from the Lord. If you're convinced that what will truly bring you peace and security in this life is getting your bank account across a certain threshold, you're putting your trust in man. You're making flesh your strength. You're turning your heart away from the Lord, right? If every time you're faced with a decision as a parent, do we do the, the travel club sporting event or, or do we go to the worship gathering with the church? And, and every time you're faced with that decision, it's like, well, we're going to make the choice for the sporting event and my child because I want to bless my child. I want to love my child because my child's a gift and I, I love them dearly. You may be putting your trust in man. You may be making flesh your strength. And you may be turning your heart from the Lord. And you may be teaching your child to do the exact same thing in that. See, a little brief parenting thoughts here. We have to see our children through the entire storyline of the Bible creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the one big story of the Bible, right? God creates the world. We bring sin into the world. God sends his son, who he planned before, he even created us, to sin, to rescue us, to redeem us out of our sin. And Jesus is returning again to renew and restore all things and bring the fullness of his kingdom and glory. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And we have to see our children, we have to see everyone, really, through this entire storyline of that. That because of creation, every child is a gift. Yes. Because of the fall, every child is a sinner. Can I get an Amen. Right? Parents, you had a child for three hours, we get that, okay? Um, Because of redemption, every child needs a Savior. And because of restoration, every child is eternal. Right? So fundamentally, the the most fundamental relationship that you have with your child is not as your son or daughter. But the most fundamental relationship you have is either potential or actual brother or sister in Christ. Because you will stand before the throne of glory in all eternity when, when Jesus renews and restores and brings the new heaven and the new earth. You'll stand side by side with your children, if they are your actual brothers and sisters in Christ, as brother or sister. Not as, I'm your dad and you're my son. Right? That's not how you'll be there. Most of us, I think, as parents, and, and I'm guilty of this too, we, we get a hold of those first two. Right? We understand our children are a gift and that they're sinners. And so we want to bless them. We want to give them lots of good things. We want to make their life as good as it can be. We want them to be best at the things that they want to do. We want, we want to give them all we can to bless them because they're a gift and we love them. That's good. And we get that they're sinners. And so we want to protect them. We want to keep them from blowing up their life in some crazy, messy, nasty way. And so we want to, we want to rein in the behaviors. We want to guard that, protect that. But sometimes we forget the last two. And as a result, we can be like, you know, the best thing for my kid is that we, we, we do all the sports. They become the best soccer player that they can become, right? We, they get the best grades that they could possibly get. That is more important than anything. So we'll pick sports. We'll pick school. We'll pick all these things over Christ and his body, the church. And we forget what our children really need most is a Savior, what will really make them successful, what really should be our view of success for them, is that they live their lives sold out for the gospel, to make Jesus known to others. That's successful. If they're the worst soccer player who ever kicked a soccer ball, right, they, they have no gifts in music or arts or anything else, but they love Jesus, and they make it their life's work through whatever work that they end up doing in life, to tell others about Jesus, that's a win. That's a win. we got to see through the whole thing. Are you trusting in travel soccer to give your child something better than Jesus can give them? Are you trusting in all those cello lessons to give your child something better than Jesus can give them? What are you teaching them to put their hope in? With that, We might just be making flesh our strength and turning our hearts from the Lord in that. We, we seek to find our security, our comfort, our acceptance in any kind of way, in our bank accounts and how successful or obedient our kids are and how other people view us and what kind of friends we have and what they think about us. When we do any of that, we are functionally putting our trust in man and we are making flesh our strength and our hearts are being turned from the Lord functionally that's who we are that's what we're doing and to do that is to be in grave danger Jeremiah tells us grave danger of living a fruitless life but before we simply look at the culture and diagnose the, all the irreligious ways to do this we also need to make sure we understand that there's a religious way to do this too what could that mean Isn't going to church good? Isn't being in community group throughout the week good? Isn't serving with the church good? Isn't telling other people about Jesus good? Isn't reading your Bible good? Praying good? Giving good? Isn't all that good? Yes, absolutely. Those things are good. And Christ would call you to do those sorts of things. But just like you can make an idol out of your children or your spouse, you can make an idol out of your own religious performance. If you're finding your hope and security in how often you attend worship gatherings or how often you're engaged in Christian community or in how much or how often you give or you serve, that's another way of putting your hope in man. Putting your hope in your own performance, in your own self, making flesh your strength. It's even a way to turn your heart from the Lord because the focus of that when that's the mindset the focus is on you it's not on Christ it's on you look at what i'm doing look at how good i am look at how consistent i am look at me it's not on jesus the focus isn't on on him and what he has done and that basing your standing with the lord on what you do or don't do is by definition putting your trust in man in yourself, And it's another way to make flesh your strength. And as strange as it may sound to some of you, it's another way to turn your heart from the Lord. I think we have this as a particularly strong warning here that Jeremiah gives. Maybe even particularly a strong warning for people like myself who work in ministry. To not get caught up in this temptation. Eugene Peterson the author, former pastor, once said, "It's really hard to be a Christian and be in ministry." And, and those of you who aren't in vocational ministry, that might sound silly, but the reality is, there's a there's a lot of truth that resonates in that. There's a lot of danger sometimes in, in serving and in living your life for the sake of the gospel. That you sometimes start to think, "Well, you know, hey, I can ma- I can do this. I got this, right? I can make this happen. I can I can get this going." That's a lie from the enemy, right? It's the spirit that moves. It's it's the spirit that opens people's hearts to faith. It's the the spirit and the the gospel that brings about renewal and growth in people's lives. Or you can even worse maybe fall into kind of the line of thinking like the the Pharisee in, in Luke chapter 18. God, I thank you that I'm not like these people, right? God, thank you that I'm not struggling in all these ways. And that's not just for people like me. That's for all of us who are Christians. To look at the culture and say, God, thank you that you haven't made me to struggle with these sorts of sinful struggles that I see all these other people just giving into." It's a way to make flesh our strength. It's a way to turn our hearts from the Lord. There's a danger in the Christian life to get so busy doing that you fail to tend to your own soul. You fail, you fail to make Jesus and all he has done... For you, your, your hope and your strength and your peace. And to keep your heart rooted in Him. To put your hope in man, to make flesh your strength, it, it is to turn your heart away from the Lord. And to do that makes you like a dried up tree. Dead and decaying out in the desert. Completely fruitless. But Jeremiah also gives us another picture. He describes another way to live with a second tree. It shows us the fruitful life. He gives us another vivid description of what it looks like to put your trust in Christ and to make Him your strength. Verse 7, he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The one who abides in Christ, the one who makes their home in Jesus and all he is and all that he has done to accomplish your salvation and your rescue. The one who abides in him, abides in his word, abides in the the hope of what Christ has accomplished by his perfect life lived for you, his sacrificial death to pay for your sins in your place as your substitute. And his glorious resurrection that gives assurance of full and final redemption and victory over sin and death. The one who makes that their trust and their strength. They are like a tree planted by water. right? That sends out its roots into the stream. And so the the picture here is this unending flow of nourishment. Of life. Of strength. Of hope of peace, of joy. It never ends. The heat comes. It gets hot outside. Those roots are tapped into the stream. It continues to get the water, to get the nutrients, to get the strength, to get the nourishment that it needs to be sustained, and not only sustained, but to bear fruit. It's not anxious about the drought. It's not anxious about the hard things in life. That When suffering comes your way, they're still tapped in, to the source of life. There's still abundance. There's still vibrancy. It doesn't mean it's all smiles and giggles all the time. But it means there's sustaining peace. There's a deeper joy in the midst of whatever happens. And as a result, the leaves of that tree always remain green. And as a result, There's peace no matter what's happening. There's abundant fruit. A vibrant and fruitful life. That's the picture of this tree. And the fruit, where does it come from? Does the tree make the fruit happen? Where does the fruit come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. He's the one who brings the fruit. He's the one who causes it to to grow and to, to bear and to be. It comes from abiding in Him. He's the source. Not what you're doing, but what He is doing in and through you as you rest in His grace, as you rest in His Word and all it says about you. It's God's desire that you would live a fruitful life. right? So what is that? What, 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 is, what is a fruitful life? Well, I think the Apostle Paul helps us greatly in Galatians 5 when he tells us this is what it is, right? Galatians five twenty two and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so the question is, where is the fruit in your life? What are you seeing in your life? What are you abiding in? Right? Is your life marked by love? Is your life marked by love, a deep abiding love for God, a gracious, gentle, selfless, servant-hearted love for others? Is that what you're seeing in your life, in your relationships, in your interactions with the people around you that you just walk into by accident? Are you joyful, right? Is there joy? And that doesn't mean, again, always smiling and happy, but is there, is there joy in your life with Christ? That ultimately, it's good because you're with Him. Is there peace? Is your soul at rest? Is your soul at rest? When hard things come your way, are you able to take them to God in prayer? And know that even when you don't get the answers you want in those prayers, that God is with you. That he's, He's with you. He's for you. And He's still at work. Even if it's not in the way you want Him to work. Patience. Are you patient? Do you give room for the Holy Spirit to work in your life and in the lives of those around you? Or do you think you need to hijack things? Expedite the process of sanctification for yourself and everybody else? Are you patient? Kindness. Paul says in Romans that it's the Lord's kindness to us that leads us to repentance. Are you kind Do you increasingly love what God says is good and delight in those things? Is there goodness in you, goodness in your life? Faithfulness. Do you find yourself resting in God's grace for you, being content in that, right? Increasingly trusting in Him, increasingly being more and more full of faith. Are you gentle with others? Are you gentle and tender with those you're called to love, are you tender with your words? Do you have compassion for those who don't know Christ and so desperately need to know His grace? Are you growing in self-control? Do you see yourself growing in, 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 in displaying restraint in the ability to increasingly say no to sin and yes to God? Are you growing in your ability to control your tongue? That's a big one. Not gossiping, not tearing other people down. Fruitful life. Now, if you're like me, you walk through that list and, and there's a reality that you like, maybe some of those questions, you're like, I'm encouraged. I, I, I have seen some growth here. Not, not a, I haven't arrived, but I'm seeing progress in my life there. But if you're also like me, some of those questions sting a bit. Because you're like, ouch, yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that very well, right? I, I, I got room to grow in some of these things for sure. A lot of room to grow. The point of these questions is not to beat us over the head with how good you are or how bad you are or what you, what you need to do, right? The, 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 nor should they puff you up if you're like, yeah, amen, amen, As I see all that, right? Right? We'll pray for you later, okay, if that's you, Um, right? They're not meant to puff you up thinking that you you really can make things happen because look how fruitful you are, right? Jeremiah's point, Paul's point, is here is the portrait of a fruitful life. Here is what it looks like. But they're also pointing us to how to experience it, how to experience the fruitful life. And if you sort of combine what Jeremiah is saying in Jeremiah 17 with the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5... I think we could kind of say something like this. If you tend to the tree, seeking to plant the roots nearer to the source of water, the source of life, then the fruit will take care of itself. Right. If we make our focus abiding in Christ, abiding in His Word, resting in His grace, the fruit will increasingly more and more take care of of itself. The the response should not be to, like, let me go try harder to be patient and gentle. Let me work harder at that. Let me really muster up some more patience towards people, right? Let me go out and do better by being joyful and feeling at peace all the time. I'm just going to make joy happen, right? When they give you that cancer diagnosis, I'm just going to smile about it and be joyful that's not what it's saying. No, the, the response should be, look at Jesus. Look at the cross of Christ. See what He has done for you. In all the ways you've tried to live for the pleasures of the world. In all the ways that you put your trust in man and made flesh your strength. In all the ways that you come up short of being loving and patient and kind, in all the ways that you fail to have peace and be filled with joy, in all the ways that you've hated what is good and cherished and celebrated what is evil in your life, in all the ways that you've lacked self control and been absolutely faithless, He was perfectly faithful. He was perfectly faithful in your place for you. He lived the sinless life you never could. Perfect in all those ways. Perfectly fruitful in every way. He was absolutely faithful in your place. In every way you've fallen short, in every way you've sinned, Jesus was perfect and without sin. And yet, He willingly gave that up for you. He willingly exchanged His perfect life to take your sin upon Himself and die on the cross as your substitute to bear the penalty that you and I deserve for our sins. He willingly said, I'll take that and I'll give you my perfection. I'll cover you in it. That's what He did for you. And He suffered and died on the cross. And He didn't just suffer and die a brutal physical death. Yes, it was brutal. It was, it was painful. But the the cosmic suffering is so infinitely greater than what the physical torment of the cross was. To bear the weight of the sins of the world. To to take and, and consume the full cup of God's wrath meant for you and I in our place. It's unthinkable what Jesus has done for you and me. It's unthinkable that He paid it all In our place. And to display the fact that that cup of wrath has been emptied. He rose from the dead. He walked out of his grave. He's risen. He's alive. He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And he's returning one day to renew and restore all things and bring the fullness of his kingdom. The fullness of our redemption. The fullness of his glory forever and ever and ever. Look at that. Look at that. Abide in him, right? Make that the source of your hope and your trust and your joy. How can you and I do anything compared to what Christ has done? How can we do anything? How can you do better or try harder than what he's already done? He's done it all. He's paid it all. And the primary work he's called to you to do now is this: abide in him abide in Christ well how do you do that well it starts with I think his word it's a pretty fundamental part of abiding in Christ you want to know somebody you might want to know what they have to say you know I didn't get married to my wife and say honey I love you but please don't speak to me now for the rest of our lives so I can know nothing about you nothing about your heart or your desires or what what you want Um, let's just be married and not speak right you know, Jesus invites us into a relationship with him. He, he invites us to know him, to abide in him. We might want to know what he has to say. He's given us his word. From Genesis to Revelation, he says in Luke 24, it's all about him. It's all pointing to him or it's all focused on him and what he has done is and is doing in our lives. We need to abide in his word. We need to let it speak and sink into our lives. We need to rest in the reality of the promises that we see in that. Let them grab a hold of our hearts that we might begin living in light of the reality of what He has done for us. Rest in the reality of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that for our sake He, that's God, made Him, that's Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Rest in that truth that because of what Jesus has done for you now, the Creator of the universe looks at you Christian and sees the righteousness of God he doesn't see your sin he doesn't see your lack of patience and grace he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ when he looks at you now rest in that embrace that let that sink into your heart and your soul rest in the the truth of Romans 8 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has borne the condemnation for your sin for you. You're not condemned by it. Right, Righteousness of God. You've been brought into fellowship with Him. You are not your sin. You are, you are what Christ has done for you. That's who you are. You're in Him. So there's freedom to confess. There's freedom to repent and freedom to rest in His grace. Listen to what the Spirit testifies about you according to what it says in Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Did you hear that? We are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ. Put your trust in that. Make that your strength. Make that your hope. Abide in that truth. That increasingly more and more it would reorient your heart to live in light of it. That more and more we would look like children of God. That more and more we would see that the tree, the leaves are green, and the fruit is abundant. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Put your trust in him. Make Christ your strength. Rest in all he's done for you. And experience the fruitfulness that comes from that. The fruitful life. Vibrant life. It's not found by trusting in you. It's not found by trusting in what the culture has to say. It's found by abiding in Christ and him alone. Be like that tree planted by the water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you speak to us through it. The promises and the assurance and the grace that you speak into our lives. Lord, would you enable us to, to get our eyes off of the things of this world. To get our eyes off of lots of the good things that you've blessed us with in our families and our Marriages and our children and friendships and jobs and skills and abilities and all sorts of things that you've given to us. Would you get our eyes off of those things and our part in that and reorient our vision to see Christ? See, all of it is a gift from God. All of it is a gift from God to wisely steward for His glory. Would you help us to make you, Lord Jesus, our our trust, our strength, our peace, our hope, and our joy, that increasingly you might bear much fruit in our lives for your glory and for the good of many others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.